though something has happened in the motorcade route. Something, I repeat, has happened in the motorcade route. There's numerous people running up the hill alongside Elm Street, there by the Simmons Freeway. Several police officers are rushing up the hill at this time. Stand by. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This is just in from Dallas, Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz said today, the assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy. 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald. Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. Over the next several episodes, we're going to be looking at the President's autopsy at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. A few episodes ago, we heard from the Parkland Hospital doctors who treated President Kennedy right after the assassination. But how is it that the doctors who performed the President's autopsy saw wounds totally different from the ones that the doctors saw at Parkland Hospital? One thing you may be surprised to learn that under Texas law, the president's autopsy was to be performed in Texas, not in Washington. So why did that not happen? Dallas County Medical Examiner Earl Rose was at Parkland Hospital when he learned that President Kennedy had been pronounced dead. Rose entered the trauma room where Kennedy's body lay and was confronted by Secret Service agent Roy Kellerman and Kennedy's personal physician George Berkeley, who said that there was no time to perform an autopsy because Jackie Kennedy would not leave Dallas without her husband's body, which was to be delivered promptly to the airport. At the time of President Kennedy's assassination, the murder of a president was not under the jurisdiction of any federal organization. Accordingly, Rose insisted that Texas law required him to perform a post-mortem examination. A heated exchange ensued as he argued with Kennedy's aides. Kennedy's body was placed in a coffin and, accompanied by Jackie, rode down the corridor on a gurney. Rose was reported to have stood in the hospital doorway, backed by a Dallas policeman in an attempt to prevent anybody from removing the coffin. The presidential aides engaged in an explicit argument with Dallas officials until they literally shoved Rose and the policeman aside to get out of the building. Dr. Earl Rose was a forensic pathologist, well-trained in medical legal autopsies, and he appeared at Trauma 1 and said, this is a homicide in Dallas County, and I will do the autopsy on President Kennedy. In the meantime, a casket had been acquired, and the President's body had been placed in it, and he was informed by the Secret Service that if he didn't get out of the way, he would be run over by the casket as they were leaving. This was the President of the United States, and they were taking him back to Washington. Aubrey Wright, who was an ambulance driver for O'Neill Funeral Home, describes the scene in Parkland Hospital and the fight over the President's body. The federal people wanted to take it back to Washington, D.C., and 
But it was a lot of pushing, shoving, cursing. They would pull, we would try to roll the casket out. Someone would grab it and try to roll it back towards the uh, trauma room. This went on for quite a while. It was push and shove type thing. Quite a bit of, uh, like I say, obscene language. I had to hold on to the cross on the casket because of the friction that, you know, where people's pulling it back and forth. And, and uh, you know, I, I was scared to death. I, you know, I, I was really frightened. I believe that if Dr. Rose had been allowed to perform the examination here, since his qualifications were impeccable, that much of the early confusion surrounding the wounds and the questions uh, as to the direction and number of shots could have been settled quickly under the capable forensic studies which Dr. Rose would undoubtedly have performed. But we didn't have the opportunity to examine President Kennedy here. At Parkland Hospital, the Secret Service had won the battle for the president's body. With unseemly haste, they illegally removed it from Dallas and flew it back to Andrews Air Force Base in Washington. The new president had been sworn in on the plane and now made his first address to the nation. I know that the world shares the sorrow that Mrs. Kennedy and her family bear. But as Kennedy's coffin was unloaded into a hearse in full public view, it seems his body was surreptitiously being removed from the far side of Air Force One and taken away by helicopter. I ask for your help and God. Its most likely destination was Walter Reed Army Hospital for a covert examination of the president's wounds and the removal of his brain. This prevented a proper investigation of the fatal headshot at the official autopsy. Only a five-minute flight from Walter Reed, the helicopter pad at Bethesda Naval Hospital, where the autopsy team awaited the arrival of Kennedy's body. Medical technician Paul O'Connor was there. I remember it being about 8 o'clock in the evening that we heard helicopters. I heard helicopters. And it sounded to me like there were two helicopters. Couldn't tell where they were coming from or where they went, but it sounded like they were landing. A few minutes later, the door burst open in the back of the hospital, and in came six or eight men carrying the casket. America's finest forensic pathologists were not appointed to perform the autopsy of the century. Instead, naval career men with meager experience of such work were chosen. As forensic pathologist, Dr. Cyril Wecht explains. Humes and Boswell were in charge of hospital pathology at Bethesda, just like uh, hospital pathologists in civilian life. They had had no formal training or experience or practice in forensic pathology. It was incredible that Humes and Boswell should have been selected to perform this autopsy. Actually, these two doctors, Dr. Boswell and Dr. Kim, commanding officers of a particular school, which was the school that I was attending, and their jobs in those days was more administrative than it was actually laying the hands on to, to people to do uh, autopsies and such. I'd never seen them do autopsies all the time that I was there. As a matter of fact, I never even saw them ever, ever come in the morgue. There were, we know, about 33 people officially logged in the autopsy room that night. We know that there was an admiral, there was a general, there were FBI and Secret Service people. And these uh, people, Humes and Boswell, 
We're career military people, just a couple of years shy of retirement. They were not about to stand up and say uh, to uh, their superior officers, we're going to do it our way. No way would they say that. There were kind of mysterious civilian people in civilian clothes were there. It seemed like they commanded a lot of uh, respect and attention. Sinister-looking people. That they would come up and look over my shoulder or look over Dr. Boswell's shoulder and run back and they'd have a little conference in the corner. Then all at once we said, there's nowhere comes down and says, stop what you're doing and go to the other procedure. And that's the way it was all night. And we just jumped back and forth, back and forth. There was no smooth flow of the procedure at all. So we see that Humes and Boswell were indeed controlled and we know from their own records that they, Humes and Boswell, were not professionally competent and expert in the realm of forensic pathology. And that's how you got a botched, horribly inadequate, inept, in, in, inadequate, superficial medical legal autopsy in the case of John F. Kennedy. But manipulation of the evidence did not end with the legal autopsy. The National Archives in Washington received a metal tray containing all the vital medical materials relating to the case, including the president's brain. An inventory check three years after the assassination revealed that these items had vanished. In that inventory of October 30th, 1966, that metal tray containing the brain and the kodachromes and the microscopic autopsy tissue slides are no longer listed. So somewhere between April of 65 and the end of October 66, these things were literally taken, illegally stolen, removed from the National Archives. And to this day, as we sit and talk, nobody in the United States government has ever accounted for these missing items. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this would mean in a... In a routine murder case, I can tell you, as a forensic pathologist testifying in a courtroom, if I came in in a murder that you know, not many people cared about, and the other side was asking, uh, where is the brain, and did you examine it, and what did you find, and so on, and I said, well, I chose not to examine it. Where is it? Uh, can you examine it today, or our experts want to examine it? Well, I don't have it any longer. It, uh, it was discarded, or so on. You know what would happen to that case, probably? The judge would throw it out of the courtroom. But in this case... The government hasn't been concerned, and my colleagues in forensic pathology were not concerned. And yet there's not one of them would ever tolerate that kind of aberrant, unacceptable, unethical, immoral, and illegal procedure or policy in his own office. Not one of them. But in this case, it just rolls off their back, along with the acceptance of the single bullet theory and all the other things. body was flown in Air Force One directly from Dallas to Washington. Accompanied by Jackie Kennedy, the ornamental bronze casket was unloaded at Andrews Air Force Base, apparently to be driven straight to the Naval Medical Center at Bethesda for the official autopsy. It was here that Commanders Humes and Boswell, with Colonel Fink, were making their preparations for the autopsy of the century. Assisting them was medical technician Paul O'Connor. The morgue door burst open and six or seven men you carrying this casket in and set it on the floor next to the uh, table, autopsy table. 
as I remember, <clears throat> this casket was a type of casket that was a cheap shipping type of casket. What I mean by shipping casket is that <clears throat> it's not a very ornamental casket. It's not very expensive. Uh, it's a very plain casket. This is not the casket in which Al Reich placed the president's body at Parkland Hospital, Dallas. It was a uh, expensive bronze color type casket. It was a bronze casket. Uh, one of the most expensive that we had in stock. Uh, it was a white satin lining inside the casket. Uh, we uh, wrapped him in one of the sheets and uh, just placed him in the casket that way. The casket was opened, and inside was a slate gray rubber body bag with a zipper that ran from the head all the way down to the toes. It's, it's the kind of body bag that you find people that were carried out of a disaster in. We unzipped the body bag, and inside was the body of the president. We put the body on the table. There was, he was he was nude, no, no clothes on, but he had a white sheet, bloody white sheet wrapped around his face and his head. So between Parkland Hospital in Dallas and the autopsy in Washington, the president's body had mysteriously been placed in another casket and also wrapped differently. A little side note here, Kennedy's aides actually disagreed as to where the autopsy should be conducted. Kennedy's personal physician, Rear Admiral George Berkeley, pushed for Bethesda Naval Hospital. However, Major General Ted Clifton instructed Surgeon General Leonard Heaton that it would be conducted at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. General Godfrey McHugh ordered an ambulance to transport Kennedy's body to Walter Reed. When informed that it was illegal to do so in D.C. without the coroner's permission, McHugh offered to pay the fine. Berkeley then consulted with Jackie Kennedy, who was initially reluctant to have an autopsy. She chose Secret Service agent William Greer, who she felt sorry for as he faulted himself for not saving the president, to drive Kennedy's casket to Bethesda. As the body was transported from Andrews Air Force Base to Bethesda, crowds of mourners lined the roads. The autopsy was conducted by two physicians, Commander James Humes and Commander J. Thornton Boswell. They were assisted by ballistics wound expert P.R. Fink of the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. Boswell called the decision to conduct the autopsy at Bethesda, quote, stupid, and argued that it should be instead be held at the Specialized Armed Forces Institute of Pathology just five miles away. Although both had conducted autopsies, neither were trained or certified in forensic pathology. World-famous forensic pathologist Dr. Cyril Wett was very critical on who was chosen to conduct the most important autopsy in American history. Here he is talking about it on the show Good Night America, which premiered on March 27, 1975. How would you characterize the autopsy performed on President Kennedy? As one of the most incomplete, superficial, incompetent medical legal autopsies that I have ever seen. Let me say, without any reference at this point, to what one believes 
about the conclusions of the Warren Commission. There is no question at all among forensic pathologists and other forensic scientists that this autopsy is absolutely unbelievable, that this should have been done in the United States of America on the most important medical legal autopsy in the history of our country and possibly in the world in this fashion still staggers the imagination. And after all these years, I find it hard to believe that it did happen. The pictures of that autopsy. Of course, if the autopsy had been scientifically uh, adequate, this obscene speculation that's been going on about the president's body would uh, have been silenced. Uh, we can't redo the autopsy, uh, but there were photographs taken and x-rays, and you're one of the few people who are given access to those documents. The documents show many things, many things which are set forth in the autopsy report. Uh, I do find many things with which I agree. There are a lot of things that are not in controversy. The more important things, perhaps, Mr. Rivera, are the items that are missing from the National Archives. And this is something that, unfortunately, too many Americans don't know. They have no way of knowing. The president's brain was not buried with the body. It was quite properly saved, placed in formalin to be fixed so that it could be examined two weeks later. You see, in a fresh, traumatized state, it would literally fall apart in your hands, and you could not trace the tracks of the bullets or bullet fragments. You fix it in formalin, and then you go back two weeks later, and you serially section it, and then you get a classic demonstration of the pathways of a bullet or bullet fragments. On December 7th, 1963, the pathologist did go back to the brain, and it is so listed in a supplemental report in the 26-volume set. And the final sentence regarding the brain says, coronal sections, that's side to side, coronal sections of the brain are not made in order to preserve the specimen. Okay? They don't say for whom, but it wasn't for me, because the brain is no longer there at the National Archives. The microscopic tissue slides which were made of the so-called wounds of entrance and the so-called wounds of exit, which may or may not be exit and entrance, as they believe. Those slides, which they do refer to in their supplemental autopsy report, are no longer at the National Archives. Special sections made of the brain are no longer at the National Archives, and codochromes of the interior chest of the president so that we could learn more about the wounds, the wounds of the neck, the wounds of the back, the trajectory of the bullet, etc., what structures might have been damaged, those codochromes are missing. So probably the four most important items of hard, physical, forensic pathology evidence regarding the autopsy on the President of the United States are missing. Where'd they go? Oh, they're very, they're very, very clever, you see. They don't get themselves into a Watergate bind. They don't say that they have been lost they don't say that they are destroyed, and they don't say that you can't see them. They simply say, we do not know where they are. We've been talking about the single bullet theory, the bullet going through the president to the governor. What about that headshot? I want to show the film again from Zapruder's frame, approximately 312 onward. We've talked about the first two shots. Let's talk about that last shot, because I think in the last program, we put undue emphasis on the fact that the president's head was whipped back. So at the risk of, uh, of horrifying you again, I want to show that, that film. So the president, there's the headshot. The head blows off, and the, hesitant, the president's head goes violently backward. Uh, there's the backward motion. Now, in the last program, 
Everyone who saw it and everyone who saw it at home all said that the bullet appeared to come from the front, and that's why the head was whipped back that way. Uh, but I understand that that may not have been the case. It may, it may not have been the case. Well, the only thing I can say to that from a forensic pathology standpoint is that the movement of the body is much more consistent with a shot coming in much further down on the side than the alleged sight of Lee Harvey Oswald or anybody else from the southeast corner of the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. I cannot, however, say that it is a physical impossibility for that shot to have been fired from the but rear. But it still could have come from the rear. Yes, it is a possibility that I certainly would, would not rule out and cannot rule out. Okay, so uh, I think that opponents of the Warren Commission really do have to rest their case on the single bullet theory. Well, there are some other things. May I point these out? They're very I mean, important. We, we don't have a lot more time. What could be better? for the government. What could be better for Mr. David Bellin and Mr. Arlen Specter and Mr. Kilduff and Mr. Bishop than to get these pieces of scientific evidence released? Let's get in top flight forensic scientists, men of the finest reputation. Get them to review and analyze these things. Get the brain, get the slides privately, not for the front cover of Time magazine or to show on a television program, but done in a very precise scientific fashion. Let's see what the hard physical evidence points out. Mr. Kilduff said before that 11 years have gone by and it's too late to do anything. No, you see, Mr. Kilduff means well, but he doesn't have the training in forensic sciences. The evidence of neutron activation analysis, spectrographic analysis, looking at microscopic size under the microscope, it can be 110 years old and we can still learn things from it. Let's all of us join together, get this physical evidence, and then we'll see where we are. I know today two people shot the president and Governor Connolly on November 22, 1963, because under the single bullet theory alone, having destroyed it, we arrive inevitably, inexorably, and irrefutably to the conclusion that two human beings did the shooting on that okay, day. Okay, thank you. At 7.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on November 22, 1963, Dr. Humes and Dr. Boswell removed Kennedy's body from his casket and began the autopsy. However, Warren Report critics have alleged that the autopsy was really controlled by military generals and not by the autopsy doctors who put their names on the report. This allegation comes from the testimony of Colonel Fink during the trial against Clay Shaw for conspiracy to kill the president. This was the famous case led by Jim Garrison in New Orleans, the one that was made famous by Kevin Costner as Garrison in the movie JFK. Dr. Fink was questioned under oath by Garrison about the autopsy. When asked who was in charge of the autopsy, Dr. Fink said, quote, I heard Dr. Hume say, quote, who is in charge here? And I heard an army general, I don't remember his name, say, quote, I am, end quote. When asked how many other military personnel were in the room, Dr. Fink said, quote, that autopsy room was quite crowded with military, civilian personnel, and federal agents, Secret Service agents, FBI agents, but I cannot give you a precise breakdown as regards to the number of people that was in that autopsy room that night, end quote. And Dr. Fink was not the only one who said that the doctors were not in control of the autopsy. James Jenkins was a hospital corpsman at Bethesda Naval Hospital who assisted with the autopsy. He says that Admiral Calvin Galloway was the one in charge. 
Jenkins says, quote, In retrospect, I think it was a controlling factor. They could control Humes, Boswell, and Fink because they were military. They were controlled and so were we. And if we weren't controlled, we could be punished and that would keep us away from the public. End quote. Paul O'Connor, who was a medical technician for the autopsy, agreed with James Jenkins. When somebody is shot and killed, they do, usually can do what they call a legal post, post-mortem. And that involves a plotting a trajectory of a missile where it comes in and goes out what angle it was and we didn't do any of that at all they weren't really interested it seems that uh, on uh, how it happened where it happened from nobody had mentioned whether he had got shot in the front or the back or the side or what I remember Dr. Humes was just about ready to pull his hair out because he was a very meticulous person and he'd start to do something and Berkeley would say don't do that and he'd just tense all up and we'd have to go to some other procedure and I thought to myself this is a very unbelievable strange night I felt like I was in some kind of a horror story that was real but what really scared me was about several days later after the autopsy we were ordered into the commanding officer's office all of us that had anything to do with the autopsy where we signed orders that stated under penalty of general court-martial, you will not divulge any information or talk to anybody. That's what scared me. Next time on the end of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we will learn what the autopsy doctors found when they examined the president's body, and how did that differ from what the Parkland doctors saw. We'll see you next week.